Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I am Charlie, joined by Reed as always. And the Ducks have another very intriguing matchup coming up this week, going up to Pullman on the Palouse. Do you know what the Palouse is? I hear that term (laughs) all the time and I don't actually know what it means. I actually don't. That's funny. I'd never really thought to, to wonder. Maybe someone else can clarify that for us. I'm going to Google it live. Um, anyways, tough place to play. Obviously, Martin Stadium is like the smallest. Um, it's like the smallest of the Pac-12 stadiums, I think. Maybe not now that Oregon State's is downsizing. But um, very loud, very tough place to play. Somebody recently, I can't remember who it was, called it like the loudest place. I think it was Alex Forsyth actually, said it's the loudest place he's ever played, which, I mean whatever man um i guess (laughs) uh either way tough place to play ducks were you know a lot of the preview articles and stuff like that are about the tough environment this might um pose obviously oregon state couldn't get it done last year in large parts of the environment up there we've seen oregon falter obviously um a couple times in recent years against wazoo um but before all that uh, let's clean up a little stuff from the BYU game, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'm going to let you take the lead. What's something that kind of stood out to you that maybe we didn't emphasize as much on our recap? Yeah, I think that um, two guys on defense that I think are worth highlighting are Bennett Williams and DJ Johnson. Uh, we talked a bit about Dorless and Christian Gonzalez, who both had really good games as well. But I think that uh, Williams and Johnson definitely deserve some credit. Those are two impact players that we kind of forecasted going into this year. Uh, and I think they showed up more on Saturday uh, on a rewatch than than I maybe noticed live, uh, or at least than we hit on in the, in the recap episode. So I wanted to highlight those guys. Uh, both had good games. Um, otherwise, I think that, you know, I feel pretty similarly to what we kind of said going into this game and coming out of it, that BYU was a good barometer for the type of games that Oregon would face through the rest of the schedule. Um, And I think that some people might be, you know, if you're just rankings watching, say, oh, it's a number 12 team, so Oregon's going to breeze through the rest of the schedule. And pretty obviously, I think both of us don't see it that way. Uh, I view this game at Washington State as pretty much every bit uh, as as much of a test and as difficult as a, of a game as uh, the BYU game was, if not more so, uh, probably. So anxious to see how the Ducks look uh, the rest of the way and certainly another big test coming up this weekend. What did you see on a rewatch? Uh, sticking with your theme of defense, um, a couple things on how we played against Jaron Hall. I think we didn't couch enough... At, I didn't, don't think we emphasized enough that um, the absences BYU were missing at receiver were pretty huge. Um, I mean, we saw some of the beefcakes that lined up out there, out wide for them, and you're just kind of looking at it like, even this is something the Pac-12 can do better than what BYU is offering us right now. Um, so that's something to look out for, especially in this game, as we'll get to. Um, the other thing, defense did a pretty good job of, uh, even if they didn't get a lot of sacks. I think they had just the one sack on Jaron Hall. They still contained him from running a lot, which was really useful in the game. Um, He never really got a chance to hurt Oregon with his legs. Uh, And the handful of times I remember him doing it, it wasn't super successful. Um, 
And then something we didn't really touch on at all was the fourth down defense from Oregon. Obviously, they were three for three on offense, but also held BYU to 0 for 4 on defense on fourth downs. Um, I don't think that counts the missed field goal attempt either. Um, So that was a really nice part of the game, just to see that even on late downs, Oregon was still succeeding. A couple things on offense. Offensive line still hasn't given up a sack all season. I I would say that that might be tested very well against Wazoo coming up, but, I mean, that stat is also true, including the Georgia game, so... I mean, maybe it's not Oregon's greatest test, um, but it will still certainly pose problems. Again, we'll, we'll touch on that as it relates to Wazoo. Uh, the Ducks had a 75% success rate on on runs. Um, this comes from watching Hithliday's tape uh, film review, which, of course, I always recommend. Always learn something new from it. He dropped this impeccable stat in it as well. When Oregon lined up in that jumbo formation or whatever we want to call it, he said this is the first I-formation run for Oregon since 2004. Um, and that's wow. the type of thing I would love to – that's the type of stat I would love to pull out, but I don't trust myself to, to actually say it. Um, so kudos to Hip for that great one. Um, and a lot of times it was very interesting. BYU like still played a three-man front when we were obviously going to run. So that kind of just – I don't know, I guess that shows that Dillingham can adapt better than BYU's defense did. I guess they were just scared of the big plays, which they somewhat prevented, other than the Troy Troy Franklin one. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyways, those are just my my final odds and ends from that game. Yeah, I think think that your note on I-formation kind of underlines one of the more interesting things we talked about in the recap episode which is just how versatile this Dillingham scheme has proven to be mm-hmm. uh you know we talked in in that recap about the pace of play and how it was able to adjust when we needed a six minute drive you know to bleed out the first half or we needed a 12 minute or, or you know we, we were getting the ball in the fourth quarter with Bo Nix and we just need to stretch that as long as possible um when he came mm-hmm. back in the game or on the other side, still hitting big plays to Troy Franklin. I think the first touchdown drive was only four plays. Um, and I think in in formation, it shows that versatility too. And I, I enjoy that. It's certainly, as Hith noted, something we haven't seen in a long time at Oregon. Um, but it's mm-hmm. proven to be effective and efficient for the team. Um, two other things that I think are worth noting that uh, I had was, I mean, one thing is just the snap count for Jaleel Florence. I, I didn't have it pulled up during the recap episode and didn't realize quite how high he got up there. He played 30 snaps to Triquez Bridges' 39 at that cornerback two spot. That's even more than I uh, would have guessed probably, you know, and I think it solidifies the argument that he's really pushing for that cornerback two conversation uh, and there's legitimate uh potential for him to take that over obviously a lot of those came later in the game when things were a little more certain but you don't give someone 30 snaps like that um even more than Dante Manning played if if you're not really trying something out there and uh looking to see for his progression the other thing too I think that's worth note is is the Ty Thompson snaps honestly I think that I was a bit more frustrated uh then was probably warranted with that with those two series. You know, I think that it was frustrating because of the results. 
and because it was such a dominating performance leading up to that, and it allowed for BYU to kind of save face on the scoreboard to a certain degree. But I think that a lot of the errors weren't really Ty's fault. Um, and so I think it's worth noting, you know, Oregon has a solid QB1, but I don't think that uh, it's time to push the panic button on Ty Thompson by any degree. And unfortunately, game state kind of takes him out of the game once those two mistakes happen. Like you said, not necessarily his fault, but I mean, once BYU shows any sign of life, you kind of got to put Bo in just to ice the game, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's unfortunate. Hopefully we can blow out the Cougars so we can see them um, again in this game. <laughs> but um, speaking of those pesky Cougars, by the way, I did look up the Palouse. It is, according to Wikipedia, a distinct geographic region of the northwestern United States, encompassing parts of Idaho, southeastern Washington, and sometimes Oregon. Uh, it is a it produces wheat and legumes. So <laughs> I think that's kind of code for nothing. There is nothing there. I'm looking at the pictures of it. I'm using what I understand from our mutual friend Reese. You know, played um, he played some club soccer games up there, and in his words, like you exit the Wazoo campus and there is nothing, just <laughs> just nothing. Um, so sorry if I'm offending anyone who adores the Palouse for whatever reason, but um, now now you know what it means. Um. In terms of football, Washington State obviously were pretty good in the Mike Leach era. Um, they transitioned to Nick Rolovich, from, brought him in from Hawaii uh, a couple years ago. He vowed to do the exact same thing, and he pretty much did until he decided not to get vaccinated, which, you know, I mean, you can have whatever opinion you want about that kind of stuff, but from a pure, like, football standpoint, I mean, everybody else in the country was able to do it, so I don't know why... You had to be so stubborn. He gets fired or let go or whatever you want to call it. Um, and Kalen DeBoer steps up. or No, not Kalen DeBoer. Jesus Christ. Jake Dickert. I have, <laughs> side note, I have been confusing these two guys' names like all offseason. And even now during the season. It's really terrible. Um, I got to get a grip when it comes to that. But um, Jake Dickert is the Washington State head coach. And... Uh, He's done an okay job so far. He did enough in the rest of that um, weird season, going 3-3 three and three and winning the Apple Cup last year um, and taking over the head coaching job this year. And so far, he's got him off to a nice little 3-0 start. First game against Idaho was pretty shaky. FCS team beating him by seven points. That's never great. Um, but then they do the unthinkable, go into Wisconsin and get maybe the best Pac-12 result of the season thus far against Wisconsin. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I think that's probably probably just the reality of it right now. Um, and then they followed it up with a good offensive showing against Colorado State last week. So, 3-0. The Cougars are really feeling themselves. Um, they've thrust themselves into the conversation in terms of like Pac-12 dark horses, I think it's safe to say alongside mm -hmm. like Oregon State and maybe you could even say Cal, probably not. Um, maybe like UCLA is in that category. But anyways, in general, uh, what are your thoughts on these these pesky Cougs? Have you gotten to watch them at all this year? Yeah, I watched uh, a good bit of that, Wash of, of that Washington State-Wisconsin game. Uh, and honestly, I've been doing 
you know, mostly box score watching of these other two uh, mm-hmm. and pull up, uh, you know, some highlights and stuff in preparation for this. But, uh, you know, the Colorado State game especially wasn't thrilling. Um, it was pretty much a blowout. I think that Dickert has brought a defensive identity to this team that didn't really exist under Mike Leach, obviously. Uh, you know, it's a program that's been known for the air raid and uh, that unique scheme there. And I think that he's brought kind of a solid identity to the other side of the ball. Uh, and with this unit in particular, we're kind of seeing the offense try to progress and meet up with the defense, which is very much not what we're used to seeing uh, out of Washington State. But the win against Wisconsin was definitely definitely impressive. I mean, I think Wisconsin is probably, like we said, the best team that any uh, Pac-12 team has beaten. Uh, but it was a weird performance as well. I mean, they only get 10 first downs on the day. They were outgained pretty significantly. Uh, but a feature of this team has been, going back to last year, an ability to force turnovers on defense, and that's mm-hmm. carried over into this season. Uh, that's certainly a big thing that I'm worrying about uh, if we're Oregon heading into this matchup on the road. I won't spoil everything we have in terms of uh, a deep dive preview that we're about to launch into, but um, the Cougars have a really, really nice um, advanced stat grade in in pretty much all these categories. Uh they're actually second in the nation in EPA per play, which is one of the base, like, when you see people making models and making, like, betting models and things like that, that's one of the main things they'll they'll start with is EPA per play. They're trailing only Michigan. Um, I, <laughs> that's, that's incredible to me, um, truly. That's, like, really impressive. That's better than Minnesota and Georgia and Ohio State, you know, teams who have been doing really, really well this season. I don't know why I included Minnesota. They were just in front of me, I guess. Um, point being, um, they're not to be taken lightly. Uh, it's always funny. Like I reference all the time on this show how Wazoo beat Oregon like four years in a row. I think it was 2015 to 2018. Um, and it just seems unthinkable when you think about like the stature of each of these programs. But um, they're, they pose a legitimate threat. Um, and especially this season... They're doing it in different ways. Um, We'll start with where we usually start when previewing these teams, and that's like talent, right? On paper, how do they stack up? Quite similar to BYU, I think it's safe to say. Uh, Maybe without the, you know, Mormon mission guys who have been gone for two years and then come back, but their roster is pretty much entirely comprised of three stars. Um, If you go to the 247 team talent composite, which again is like a nice home base for this sort of thing, Literally all 70 of the players listed are three stars. Um, I don't know what Cam Ward's rating was. I'm sure it was lower being that he was in an FCS school. But um, unlike BYU, Wazoo generally aren't as big. Uh, We'll talk about how physical they do play, especially on defense. But um, in general, they've been like a smaller... I've used the word plucky like three or four times now in this episode. Just meaning like they're kind of sneaky in a way. Um, you know, when you think about how they've beaten Oregon in the past, it's just been like <laughs> four yards on first down, seven yards on second down, right? Like just these quick passes, short throws um, that get the job done quickly. But um, one thing we should really talk about uh, as we launch into the offense here, this the line for this game is at six and a half points to Oregon. 
Um, and when you stack up those, you know, Oregon's talent versus Wazoo's, you kind of go like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. Like Oregon is a far more talented team. Obviously they don't have the same resume Wazoo does so far, but um, this line is what it is because Wazoo is good where Oregon is supposed to be bad. And that's in their passing offense. Surprise, surprise. Um, however, it's not the same like air raid that we're used to. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, you know, the, the big thing is that it's a lot more balanced. This is a different flavor of the air raid. I mean, it still kind of harkens back to some of those ideas and it won't be totally unfamiliar. But one thing that you'll see that we barely saw it all under Leach is they're going to run the ball, you know, 30 to 40 percent of the time, probably uh, somewhere in there. And and that's was almost unheard of under Leach. I mean, really, mm-hmm. it was, you know, utilizing the back in the passing game. Sure. Occasionally you'll see a run here and there, but it was almost entirely going to be those short passes. Um, so this is this is new, uh, and I think that in some ways is a benefit for Oregon. I mean, you look at the Ducks, they're, they want Wazoo to run this ball, uh, you know, not well, but they want to get those rushes in because I think that's an area that Oregon probably feels more comfortable about containing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the passing game is going to be a little bit harder based on that being the, the position group that Oregon's weakest in. Uh, but at the same time, I think this offensive unit is interesting because it's still getting its feet. You know, you talk about Cam Ward coming in there from the FCS level and adjusting along with his offensive coordinator um, to this kind of step up in competition. And I think that Oregon is lucky in the fact that this is probably a worse Wazoo offense than we're going to see come week 10 or 11, you know, in the home stretch of the conference slate. Uh, mm-hmm. But on the other side of the ball, that's been kind of the story of Oregon's defense as well. I think they're looking to have some improvements and taking strides forward each week. And we're seeing, you know, each each time they get on the field, oh, Oregon's improved tackling. Maybe they're a little better on the edge this week, but there's still this flaw that they have to work out or that. Uh, and on the other side, I think, Wazoo's building up those building blocks of this offense and getting Cam Ward more comfortable as well. Uh, Worth mentioning along the offensive line, uh, typically you expect a team like this to be pretty small. um, And technically, I guess Wazoo is. All their five starters float pretty much exactly at 300 pounds. Um, So again, like you said, this is an area Oregon should be able to exploit. Um, A lot of people have actually been critical of Oregon's pass rush and just defensive line in general um, from these first three games. I'm less so. Again, I, I think the things they did against Jaron Hall were actually really good. They just didn't necessarily show up on the stat sheet every time. Um, but they, like you said, this is a way different Wazoo offense than we're used to seeing. Um, even last year when we were previewing this game, it was kind of the same, right? Um I almost called him Kalen DeBoer again. Jesus Christ. Jake Dickert. He said that like in his introductory press conference and throughout his tenure at Wazoo so far, he's used the word multiple like every single time when describing his offense. Right. Um, 103 passes versus 75 rushes so far this year in terms of play calling. 
Um, maybe some of those rushes are exaggerated because of garbage time, but they haven't had a lot of games with a ton of garbage time, honestly. Yeah, only um, last week. Yeah, yeah. So the Cam Ward thing is really interesting, right? Because we talked about it in the offseason. You bring in his like offensive coordinator with him, supposed to help him ease in. He underwhelmed, I think it's safe to say, in the first couple games. Even with that win at Wisconsin, he didn't look great. Um, came alive against Colorado State, but there's still a lot unknown about this team, I think. Um, they haven't played a team as good as Oregon. I'm confident in saying Oregon is better than Wisconsin. And even if you have a gripe with that, like Wisconsin is a totally different, like in terms of preparation, Wisconsin is totally different than anything Oregon or really any other team poses. Um, so the key with Washington state, like you said, I mean, you got to stop the pass. We know Oregon's pass defense wasn't great last week against BYU, um, with even without their two starting or two best starting wideouts. Um, so it's, it's just going to be really interesting. I think some guys to watch for Wazoo when they're on offense, other than Cam Ward, their quarterback, um, their running back, Nakia Washington, he's really good. Uh, he's number 25. He scored the touchdown in Wisconsin that won them the game on a really nifty like move, uh, on a, I think it was a pass catch out of the backfield. Um, that was just kind of, it stood out to me because that's one of those plays that does it means more than the six points that show up on the stat sheet, right? Um, especially in a game like that, it really tipped the scales more than it usually would. Um, there are two wide receivers to watch: number eighty-eight, Dijon Stribling, and number six, Donovan Ollie. These guys put up numbers. Um, they're really good. Typical stuff from UW, right? High usage. Not as high as before, but still very high usage in their wide receivers. Um, they only have like two tight ends listed on the depth chart. And one of them is actually Andre Dollar, who was either, Oregon was either in the mix for him or did he actually commit, commit to Oregon? Yeah, yeah, he was committed for a while, actually. He kind of was a really early commit in that cycle uh, yeah. that then flipped once things, as as it neared signing day. Yeah. Um, and then the other guy to watch for them is Renard Bell. He's their H-back, which is the guy that like lines up behind the offensive line like a quarterback, but off to the side. He's not obviously not a quarterback. Um, he also <laughs> returns kicks for them. He's pretty explosive. So um, as we said already, I mean, the Ducks stopped the run pretty easily against BYU um, with a relatively like weak box. We were able to shut down their entire run game. Um, so if we can do that versus Wazoo, I think we'll be fine in this game. If we can commit more numbers to pass defense. We talked about like, Maybe Traquez needs some help on one side sometimes. If you're able to leave Gonzo on an island and have like a safety shift over to help Quez, that's huge. Um, one thing I will say is even when the Ducks got beaten downfield in the past game, they still had pretty solid tackling. That kind of stuff is huge in this game. You cannot let 15-yard gains turn into 50-yard gains and touchdowns uh, in a game like this. So, um, Sorry, I just rambled for like, a long time but is there anything else you want to add about this this side of the ball no i think you're spot on in that you need to try to limit those bigger plays uh, and you need to make it so that ward has to work his way down the entire field because you know, he's still proving that he can be consistent at this level uh and i think that yeah for this game it's going to be about 
hoping that Ward hasn't really come into his own yet, hoping that you're still getting Wazoo early and on the other side having, you know, some guys like a Triquez Bridges step up uh, and take that step before, you know, Wazoo's offense can take their step. Because if you get, if you let Ward get into a comfortable rhythm, if you let, you know, the big play hits turn from 30 yards to, you know, a touchdown, uh, that's going to just limit the room for mistakes on the offensive side of the ball for Oregon um, where they're facing a pretty good Wazoo defense. Yeah, man. Um, And a pretty surprisingly good Wazoo defense. I don't think anyone expected them to be as good as they are. I mean, even throughout Leach's tenure, that was the big weakness of this team was being able to stop other teams. Um, They would just try to be as efficient as possible on offense and win in shootouts. But um, this run defense is legit. I mean, you don't go into Wisconsin and win without having a legit run defense, straight up. Um, they played very well in that game. Their linebacker, uh, Dayon Henley, is right now the highest graded linebacker in the country, according to Pro Football Focus, PFF, which we like to use sometimes. Um, they have a really solid defensive line. Again, stopping the run has been really, really key for them. And as we saw in the Oregon-BYU game, if you're able to stop the run, the rest of the defense gets a little bit easier, right? Um, the other thing they do is force turnovers. That's part of the reason why they beat Wisconsin. Um, I'm, I don't, I haven't checked what like the post-game win expectancy or anything like that was, but I have a feeling it's not the 99% we usually see in favor of uh, Wazoo. They were pretty fortunate to force some like red zone turnovers or even like negative plays in that game. Wazoo actually leads the entire country in tackles for loss. Like, what the hell, man? What happened to my to the Cougs that just roll over and die on defense? I miss that. Um, again, so what do you think is the, the difference in winning this side of the ball? Do we need to rely more on Bo Nix to throw? Or do you think we'll be able to kind of run through them like we did with BYU? Well, I think... The first question is going to be, can you establish the run? I mean, we talked about that going into the BYU game, and that's going to be the big question here. Uh, I think that the only semi-comparable team they faced is Wisconsin from a talent level. I mean, obviously, schematically, it's different, but uh, they've had a lot of success in run defense versus Idaho and Colorado State, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But Mm -hmm. I don't think those samples are at all indicative of the type of running attack they're going to face against Oregon. Uh, When they played Wisconsin, they held up pretty well again, but Wisconsin was able to get to four yards per carry, not horrible, uh, and they pounded the rock a bunch. They rushed 44 times for 174 yards. That's really, you know, a respectable showing from Washington State, um, but not forcing Wisconsin to go away from the run necessarily uh, and... Mm -hmm. I mean, with, with with Wisconsin, I think that that's, you know, kind of the polar opposite of the versatility that we talk about in Dillingham's scheme. And they're pretty committed to the way that they do things uh, and mainly running the ball. So I wonder what number is going to force Oregon to go more into the passing game. Um, and I think in that respect, I mean, you talked about the linebacker, uh, Henley, is 
he's really elite. He's an interesting guy because he tra- he transitioned from being recruited as a skill position player. I think he transferred from Nevada, um, mm. and so he was a skill position guy on offense. And originally, he did some work in the secondary, and then was converted to linebacker. Uh, and I think that athleticism has blended with physicality, and he's just been a guy who's everywhere. He has totaled 30 tackles through three games. That's just a ridiculous pace right now. Um, Yeah, so uh, there's certainly talent uh, here and there on this Washington State defense, and more than anything, they just play like a good unit similar to how BYU did. Uh, I think the question is, can Oregon establish the run? And then, uh, if not, what do we see from Bo Nix uh, in, in his ability to kind of handle this game and avoid turnovers? Ditto for these running backs as well, who Oregon has history over the past few years in the running back room with guys struggling to hold on to the ball. We haven't seen that show up yet this year. Oregon hasn't had... I don't think any fumbles from the running backs, um, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's certainly going to be big against, again, here. Uh, Same for like the young wide receiver core for Oregon. Turnovers are going to be a, is a huge goal of this Washington State defense. Uh, And I think sometimes it can be lazy to, to bring up turnovers as a deciding factor in, in a preview because, of course, that's a big deal any game. But, in this one, I think it's important to mention it because that is really how the Washington State defense tries to win these games and, and shift up, shift momentum against opponents that might be more talented. And you mentioned momentum. That's transitioning to kind of an overall preview. That is my biggest key in this game, and it's kind of a bland one to throw out there. Oh, yeah, of course momentum is a key. This game more so than others. Uh, the crowd's going to be behind them. Oregon, I mean we saw how Georgia's momentum kind of flattened the ducks in week one in Atlanta. Um, a big part of that is those turnovers. Right. Uh, and the other one, I, the other kind of key or piece of that momentum part that I want to highlight is rotation, like rotating guys. Um, do the guys who step in, do the backups who step in, do as good as a job, good of a job as the starters. Like even if Oregon is playing well, Say somebody goes down, you know, say somebody just needs needs a sub out. Like, how do you respond to that as a backup? Um, for example, like someone like Jaleel Florence coming in. If Quez isn't playing well and Florence's number gets called, that's a huge spot that he has to step up in against some really, really good passing offense. Um, things like that are going to be super important. I also think about it in terms of the running backs for Oregon. Um Say Bucky's having a really good game, and obviously we we like to divvy up the carries. Here comes Whittington. Does he continue that momentum? Uh, does he keep running as hard as Bucky was if he's having a good game? Um, but then also, if someone's having a bad game, like I mentioned with Quez, like are you going to be able to step up? So, and then the final piece that I have, I'm sure you'll want to add more keys to this game. Uh, but red zone scoring is like huge, and it plays into momentum, of course, but. In general, like I think Oregon will be able to move the ball against this Wazoo defense. We saw them move the ball against Georgia. Um, it just comes down to actually scoring points, right? Um, I'm not as concerned with creating explosive plays in this game as I am getting the ball to Terrence Ferguson in the end zone um, or Troy Franklin or Mack or whoever it may be. 
Um, we saw Chase Cota be a threat to get the ball into the red zone. Uh, we've seen Oregon's jumbo packages play a huge role in that so far. That's something they theoretically should be able to use to their advantage, right? Like Josh Connerly and company should be able to move a bunch of three stars around, even if they've been playing well so far this year. Um, so what other things are you kind of looking for in this game overall? Yeah, I think your point on the red zone is is really important. I, I would say that this is the second best defense Oregon has faced this year. I mean, certainly Georgia's yeah. far and away above everyone, but I think this is a better defense than Wazoo. Or, I mean, than BYU, sorry. Um, <laughs> for sure. And, and so, yeah, I think we saw even against Georgia, like you said, Oregon was able to move the ball, but are they able to convert that into points? Uh, how aggressive is, you know, Lanning and Dillingham going to be on fourth downs if we get in those positions? We saw early in the BYU game taking the field goal. Is that going to be the right decision in this game? I'm not sure because, again, it you know, it's only week four and similar to last week. I think we still have some unknowns about both these teams. Uh, Wazoo's kind of a similar scenario where they have this result against Wisconsin that kind of reminds me of BYU's result against Baylor, a close win against a team with some offensive flaws uh, that, you know, physically resembles uh, a legit Power 5 team, uh, but maybe, you know, offensively and schematically is a little behind the curve. uh, And and at the quarterback position, both Wisconsin and Baylor, a little bit behind the curve of what a top 20 team should be. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think that's in both cases, they were impressive wins, but we wondered how applicable they were to the Oregon game and versus Baylor. We saw that or I mean, versus BYU. We saw that Oregon was able to cruise through that defense with very little resistance and really carve up all of BYU's entire team and, and just put touchdown after touchdown after touchdown on the board with the first team. I think there's a chance that they could do something similar to Wazoo. I, I wouldn't rule it out because it's so early in the year, but I think a big thing is it's probably going to be a little harder to run the ball. Um, and then the turnover factor is is something that Oregon avoided against BYU uh, that I think will be even harder to avoid against Washington State. And on top of that, being on the road uh, makes those things a bit harder, but there's a lot of variance in this game too. You know, I, I think there is a world where Oregon executes, like I said, and does really well. And then there's another world where they get derailed and it's kind of a classic Pac-12 letdown game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of it is going to be, I think, through a quarter of this game, I think we'll have a way better feel about kind of just what the vibes are about this one almost and and what kind of both teams' mentalities are going into it. Yeah, speaking of vibes, Avery from No Truck Stops uh, rated this her bad vibes game of the week, um, which is not great if you're the favorite, um, shall we say. Uh, so we'll see what we'll see if what the vibes are like, as you say. Um, I think it'll be a nice sunny day up in the Palouse. Um, so I don't really see weather playing a factor in this one, which is nice. Very glad this is during the day, like a one o'clock kick instead of one of those like 7.30 p.m. or seven o'clock kicks uh, in the dark. That would scare me a little bit more. Um, But this is certainly a difficult test for Lanning in his first conference 
opponent ever in the Pac-12. Um, so yeah, man, I'm, I'm just really excited to see the mentality of this team and how it plays out. Uh, a couple injury notes for Oregon. Um, our guy Jared Denny over at Scoop Duck was at practice this week, of course. Um, no real new injury news. Cardwell and Flo obviously were both out from the last game, but they both practiced and should be fine. Um, Stephen Jones, Michael Lefeze, and Suave Poti are all still out. Um, that's all expected. Um, let's see. Chris Hudson was returning punts. Uh, nothing new there. Offensive line um, looked like Bass, Sala, Walk. Um, didn't take part in the drill, but that's that's nothing different. Um, again, I, I think Oregon should be able to win this game. Um, despite how well Wazoo's defense has played so far, this is like, this. I mean, it is a game Oregon should win on paper. Um, at Stats of War on Twitter, a guy who really... You should give him a follow. He does a really lot, uh, a lot of good like previews for games, and he'll. Uh, I think he runs CFB Graphs, um, which is a website we like to use for advanced stats. He has this projected as a, a seventy, uh, sorry, seventy percent win probability for Oregon uh, versus thirty for Wazoo. I think that's about right. Um, the spread sounds a little scarier than it might actually be. Portland's or sorry, Oregon's projected points. Um, 40 versus Wazoo's like 33, which is way above the total set at 56. I would personally take the over on that. Um, but do you have any sort of, I mean, do you have a score prediction lined up and ready to go for this one? Uh, I, you know, I'm a little torn going into the year. This was actually the game that I pegged Oregon to, to lose in the early conference slate. Uh, mm. And I'm weighing that prediction against really two factors early in the season. I think, one, Washington State is better than we thought they would be, especially defensively. They're better than we thought they would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other side for Oregon, I think that the Oregon offense has turned the corner a lot faster than I thought it would, uh, especially in that BYU game last week, really putting things together and, and proving that I – think it was pretty you know pretty ready for the conference slate uh and ready to show up for these competitive games i'd lean oregon but i'm ready for it to be close um yeah in terms of a score prediction i think i'd go like 31 24 oregon i'm sure that's close to the vegas line or vegas that's exactly the vegas line yeah (laughs) yeah that's what it that's what it feels like to me. Uh, I think that the Oregon defense will have some success. Like I would, I would be moderately surprised if Wazoo got over, you know, 30 or 35 points. And because of that, I think, uh, just cause I don't really think that they're at that level yet in terms of their attack. I mean, mm-hmm. we've seen them so far this week, like, they put up 38 on Colorado State. They put up 24 on Idaho. Like, you know, if you're really humming, it shouldn't be hard to put get into the 40s versus either of those teams or more, probably, you know. So in that respect, I think Oregon's going to be able to hold them under 30, and that makes me feel better because I think this Oregon offense is 
feels like it's good for at least four or five touchdown drives, you know, and maybe a field goal or two on top of that, depending on on the decisions to go for it or what have you. But this offense seems like it's rolling pretty well and like getting to four or five touchdown drives versus even a good, pretty good defense uh, is reasonable because they're just executing at a really high level. Before I give my prediction, I want to ask you, do you think Wazoo should be ranked right now? Let me pull up the AP rankings real quick. I mean, I know that this isn't they our... They received votes, but... Um, right. But I don't know. I, I think... still think they got kind of screwed. Yeah, you know, I'd have to go through and do... Um, you know, like, really pull through some of these more. But, I mean, off the top of the bat, like, some of these teams that are ranked that I don't think should be, like, Miami... Texas A&M, Texas, Pittsburgh, almost all of the back half of this. I mean, Florida, I don't really know if they should be ranked right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, BYU, I think, probably shouldn't be ranked. Uh, I think that BYU and Baylor are kind of booing each other in a weird way. And Not to go too deep into this, but it's an interesting poll right now. They have BYU 19, who beat Baylor at 17. And I think both of those are being pulled up in some way because of Oregon at 15 yeah, because <laughs> um, of that cluster. But I think it's being ignored that, you know, Oregon absolutely beat the brakes off of BYU. And BYU and Baylor was a competitive game, uh, really competitive. So, yeah, anyways, I think there's plenty of teams that could be dropped. And of the teams that aren't on there, uh, Washington State would be really close to the top of my list of other teams. I mean, looking at the ones that are receiving votes, like Florida State's had a good start to the season. North Carolina has a case. I think Oregon State, I would rank. I think that their Mm -hmm. wins against Boise State are really good in Minnesota. Those are probably the teams I'd be considering. But yeah, I think Washington State would be ranked in that 20 to 25 range uh, if I was doing my own poll. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I don't know, man. I just have a feeling this is going to be an ugly game. Um, yeah. A lot of, like, weird shit happening back and forth. Um, I'm feeling more like 27-24, and I'll, I'll lean towards the Ducks um, just because I want to. Um, but I can honestly see this one going either way. After all the content I've consumed about it, after all the, you know, previews I've read, podcasts I've listened to, and all this stuff, Everybody seems to think this will be a very competitive matchup. Um, and I just have a hard time shaking that idea. So I'll go 27-24 Oregon. Cam Lewis kicks game-winning field goals. Time expires. A little reminiscent mm-hmm. of 2019. Right? Those 20? Yeah, 2019. Yep. Um, and the Ducks escape with a win. Um, hopefully that'll mean Wazoo jumps into the rankings instead of the Ducks dropping down in the rankings. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, either way, think, this is a really intriguing game. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that scenario kind of hinges on another interesting question that we haven't talked about totally, but there's been some narrative making from Oregon fans versus national media about the Bo Nix question. And QB11 put it interestingly. You know, he's, his theory in, in a recent Scoop Duck article was that we're going to see a break between Oregon Bo Nix and Auburn Bo Nix. Mm. And I think the consensus amongst national media members and people like Tom Fornelli on the Cover 3 podcast was saying this. 
that there's good Bo Nix and there's bad Bo Nix. That's been the narrative throughout yeah. his career. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is a pretty classic game that you would expect to see bad Bo Nix pop up based on mm-hmm. what he's done throughout his year. It's on the road. It's first a team that is really good at forcing turnovers and has a pretty pesky defense. Um, so there's, if it's bad Bo Nix who shows up, absolutely this game could get really ugly, I think, uh, and could be played in, in the you know low 20s quite easily. Uh, but the other argument against that is, yeah, okay, you know, Washington State's defense is good, but it's nowhere near the good SEC defenses that forced bad Bonex to show up. And Oregon's offensive line and weapons are better than those Auburn teams had. Uh, so I think that's the question, whether or not, you know, I think we'll learn in this game to a large degree whether or not Bonex has had those errors because that's just who he is. And, you know, every couple weeks he has to get out of his system a horrific game where he makes really questionable decisions. Mm-hmm. Or if it was a situational thing where he was really just facing tough circumstances against really good defenses in not ideal schemes with a bad offensive line uh, and that when he's put in a better situation at Oregon, he can be a lot more consistent from week to week. Um, so we, we did our predict- predictions for this game. We're about to launch into some Pac-12 picks, uh, some bow picks as we ironically call them. Um, but real quick, I actually want to bring back something that we, we haven't been doing this year, and I don't know if we'll continue to do it this year, but I want to power rank like at least the first like half of the top or top half of the Pac-12. Because um, I'm interested to that. see where Wazoo actually lands for you. I mean, I think USC's got to be the, the clear one at this point, right? Yeah, so I would say, well, do you want to just, how do you want to do this? You want to go through our ones back and forth here? Sure, yeah. Uh, like, like USC is my one, and then I've got, like, I'm th- in thinking of tiers, I've got, like, UW, Oregon, and Utah kind of in that next tier. Maybe Wazoo. Yeah, so honestly, I, I personally, I'm not putting USC yet a tier above the rest of these guys. Okay. Uh, and I think that that's, you know, it's fair enough for people. Uh, that's just a difference in opinion from me versus other people. Obviously, they have that number seven ranking. Uh, but I just haven't seen them prove it to me yet, to my standard, against a really good team uh, or, mm-hmm. or even like a legitimately good team. I think Fresno's solid, but they were without Hayner for the second half of that game. Uh, and would, they've also. Would, would blowing out OSU fulfill that for you? Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. definitely. Definitely. That would solidify a lot of things for me. Um, and the other part of it that I think people haven't acknowledged is that they they're plus ten in turnover so far this year. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, all that is to say, like that we'll get to that Oregon State game and previewing it. But that line is, I think, six and a half or something. Dude, the public bullied it down from like I think it opened at like twice that for USC, and the public bullied it down by taking Oregon State so much. Um, yeah, to six but and I a half. Th- yeah. It's it's that for a reason, you know. Uh, if if USC was far and away runaway conference champs, that line should be, you know, well above or at least above ten. Even though Oregon State's a good team, uh, mm. 
And I just think there's a little unproven there. USC could be really good, but I'm not ready to call them runaway conference champs or or lock in their spot in the conference title game yet, personally. Uh, that said, I, I would have them one, but I wouldn't separate that tier for me. Okay, um, so where does that separation come in then for you? I think that there's a gradient right now of like the top six. Uh, I, I agree, man. Like, that are it's so hard to t- divide these conference teams up. title contenders, uh, and so like I, th- I think that there's a slight break for me still um, in USC, Oregon, and Utah because I've seen those programs and like a version. I mean, I guess not with USC, a version of this roster, but. They've looked the best so far. They're a special case, and their transfers are incredibly talented. Um, So, you know, I can forgive that. But I've seen a version of USC, Oregon, and Utah run through a full conference slate and, you know, compete for a conference title, I feel like. And so I trust those teams as the schedule, you know, looms on to get those breaks, to show up on the road and, and avoid kind of the crazy, you know, Pac-12 after dark scenarios and come out of this thing around 10 wins more than I trust the next three, which are Oregon State, Washington, and Washington State. Right now, I'd put, I think I have Oregon at second and Utah at third, but Mm -hmm. I don't have evidence for that exactly. It's mostly just a feel thing for me. Um, because I, yeah. I don't know that Florida loss is looking worse and worse for Utah and this Oregon offense is exceeding my expectations. And I think that there's a world where this defense comes together and, and makes a pretty good team. What's your top three right now? Pretty much the same. I mean, I think Utah and Oregon are pretty much interchangeable at this point. Um, yeah, I agree. I, that next part of it is really interesting to me, though. Like, how how much stock do we put into wa- to Washington, like, beating the crap out of Michigan State for that first half, right? Um, yeah. They, their pass offense looks legit with Michael Penix um, or Penix, whatever the hell you want to call him. Um, <laughs> I think you got to put UW in the same tier as, like, Wazoo and Oregon State right now, just exactly. in terms of teams who are overperforming their expectations so far. Um, and are potential conference contenders. So that's like my first, that's my top half. I would honestly put Wazoo like ahead of Washington if I was making straight up rankings at this point as that number four team. Like their defense has looked really, really good. Um, and then I would go Washington and then Oregon State. Um, you know, they barely pulled out a, that result in Fresno. And the, I don't think Boise is as good as Boise usually is. Um, I will say, though, hanging 68 on Montana State, that's a, that's a top five FCS program. Like, you're hanging 68 on anybody, that's a good sign. Same thing we talked about with Oregon and Eastern Washington. And then the back yeah, half, I, like, yeah, go I'll, I'll just go real quick with those three. Personally, I have probably Washington, Oregon State, and Washington State at sixth. Okay. Uh, but I it's a solid tier where there's not much separation. And I think we still have a lot to learn, right? I mean, Washington's mm-hmm. offense, passing offenses has looked great, but they played really bad pass defenses so far. Um, Oregon yeah. state 
I think we know the most about because they played the most quality teams uh, and gotten it done. Um, and I think we kind of know Oregon State is uh, twenty to top twenty to thirty-five team in the country. I feel really good about that. I don't think I think Washington could be a top ten team in the country potentially if mm. everything clicked. You know, I don't think yeah. Oregon State's ever going to get there. Uh, I also think Washington could be fool's gold and and you know ter- be a top closer to top forty or fifty team. A- and same with Washington State. I think that yeah, their defense has looked really good, but I question like wh- what offenses have they played? That Wisconsin one's impressive, and I think it proves that you're not going to get pushed around completely in the run game, and that is impressive. But that's not a dynamic wisconsin offense you know yeah. so <laughs> that's where i have it but i'm still still definitely agree i think we're viewing these teams really similar ways that that it's kind of you know tier one and tier two conference cont- title contenders uh for that top six yep yep definitely wow nice voice crack in there um, <laughs> i just yelped it out uh, all right, let's get into the, some of these conference picks then, and then we can. Do I? Do are we doing? Do we want to do back half or no? Or do you want to uh, just get into it? Sure, we can. We can if you want. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll thinking, just run th- through it faster if you want. Um, I got I'm UCLA going, still ahead of Arizona. Oh, do I really? Yeah, I got UCLA still ahead of Arizona. Maybe yeah, I'll take the, Arizona. I'll take Arizona over UCLA, but I think that's the tier three. Dude, you so this is actually going into our first pick here. I want to talk about this. UCLA is twenty-one and a half point favorites on the road at Colorado. There is there is not a number high enough um, to where I would take Colorado in in, in this game against the spread. Um, yeah. I don't care if UCLA barely beat South Alabama. I think South Alabama is an underrated. I mean, every Pac-12 person I've heard talk about South Alabama just doesn't know anything about them. Um, and the tiny bit of information I do know about them uh, makes me confident that like they were le- they're they're a legit G five team. Um, not like New-, New Year's Six potential or anything, but I mean, we're talking about Arizona struggling with North Dakota State versus like uh, UCLA struggling with a legit G five team. So I don't know. Maybe those are on similar tiers. I guess actually they kind of are. But I'm taking UCLA to beat the ever loving crap out of Colorado. Honestly, I that that's actually a really good point, I think. The fact that we reacted so horribly to UCLA competing with South Alabama versus how we react to Arizona competing with North Dakota State is a little silly. Um, yeah, like I understand I those are pretty similar teams. Like, I think yeah. those are pretty similar teams. North Dakota State and South Alabama, if I'm just ballparking it, you know. Um, well, this is where, like, preseason expectations yeah. have, like, too big of an influence sometimes. Like, the only reason we're reacting this way is because UCLA was supposed to go 9-3 and three, and Arizona was supposed to go, like, 3-9, and nine, according yeah. to Vegas. Um, so. Yeah, you're right. Uh, okay, I'm putting UCLA ahead of Arizona now. Uh, you, you sold me. Let's go. Uh, watch them lose, and, and I'll take <laughs> I'll take UCLA as well on the total versus Colorado. Um, there's only uh, two. So actually, 
talking about Arizona, this is a really interesting matchup. Arizona visiting Cal. Cal are three-point favorites after narrowly losing to Notre Dame on the road. Um, this is a really, really intriguing matchup. Um, and it's on Pac-12 Network, as is the UCLA-Colorado game. That UCLA game's at 11. Uh, this Arizona-Cal game is at 2.30. Honestly, man, like, I've never been so excited to watch the Pac-12 ever. Um, as a fan, I'm really excited for both these games, and really all the games on Pac-12 Network, like, and all the Pac-12 games throughout the day, are they're all really good matchups this week, in my opinion. Maybe not that UCLA game, but... Um, so Arizona visits Cal, Cal are favored, favored by field goal. <laughs> the total at this game is set at 50. How do you feel about this game? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, this is a really interesting question in terms of, you know, this is a field goal line and that's about what home field advantage is valued by Vegas. I mean, obviously Berkeley, uh, maybe it's a little bit below average in terms of home crowd. <laughs> We still have to travel on the road and everything. Um, but I think it says, obviously, these teams are viewed really similarly uh, mm-hmm. in terms of a neutral site. I'm, I think Arizona's better. Uh, I'll take Arizona to win this game. Um, I think that this is kind of a poor man's version of, like, the Washington Oregon State comparison I made. I feel like Arizona has a higher ceiling than Cal does because <laughs> uh, I just don't think Cal's offense is going to be able to really produce at that level. And I think when Arizona's really cooking, they can play with teams. You for you know you t- you apply this to Oregon's schedule. Even though power rating wise and on average, like these two teams are are similar, I'm way more scared personally, and hopefully this clip doesn't bite me. But I'm way more scared of Arizona than I am of playing Cal if if I'm Oregon, mm-hmm. um, because just being a comp- competently mediocre, you know, is not enough to get it done. I think, whereas Arizona's being more dynamic. Uh, having more variance in their outcomes um, makes them a bit more threatening. So I'll take Arizona in this game because I like them more, but I think it's probably an er- uh, situation where Arizona either is going to win, you know, with Jaden Delore going to win themselves this game or kind of shoot themselves in the foot mm-hmm. and, and lose it, you know. I really like the way you framed that. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I was thinking Cal before this pick. Um and then you actually talked me into Arizona, so I'll I'll take I'll take the Wildcats, um, and we're two for two on agreements so far. So would um, quick would would Cal be your next team there if you're saying you know seventh is UCLA, eighth is Arizona, and ninth would be Cal? And do you think that that's they're part of that Arizona UCLA tier? Do you think there's a separation at UCLA? Uh, how do you view that? I, I I would put them in a separate tier with Stanford. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, I would have them in that, uh, what's that, eighth spot, ninth spot? Yeah, ninth spot. Ninth yeah. spot. Yeah, I'd, I'd put them just below Arizona. I think that's why that's a this is such a good matchup. I would um, too. Or I guess that's the, yeah, ninth spot. Um, And then, I mean, we don't even have to mention, like, Colorado's last arizona state is 11th right like we don't even yeah and stanford's yeah. 
Stanford's Penn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am really intrigued by Stanford's matchup this week, but we'll get to that. Uh, USC, we already talked about favored by six and a half at Oregon State. We already kind of analyzed this game, so I'll just take your pick. Uh, I'm taking USC. I think they're going to blow them out. Um, what are you thinking? Yeah, I do want to talk about this game a little bit. I am so upset that this isn't game day this week, and I think it's yeah. largely because of the Pac-12 network. Um, but beyond like the micro thing of Oregon State's a borderline top 25 team, uh, and obviously, you know, USC's draws eyeballs right now. Everyone wants to see what they look like and, and see if USC football is really back and their explosive offense and everything. Uh, but more so for me, I was, I was scrolling Twitter today, uh, and there was a clip of that upset that Oregon State pulled over USC with freshman Jaquiz Rogers when yep. USC was ranked number one. And I was thinking... This is the last time USC will ever travel on the road to Oregon State in Pac-12 play, ever. And probably ever. Yeah, probably ever, right? Um, that's so sad that that's coming to an end. And those upsets of by Oregon State over, you know, highly ranked USC teams are you know, among the prime storylines and legacies of the Pac-12 conference over the past 30 years. Uh, so in that regard, like, I think this was an opportunity to highlight nationally and, you know, whether or not we give a shit about game day, we can still watch the game and enjoy it all the same. But I think it was an opportunity for, you know, what that show means and to go around the country and highlight you know, a new rivalry and shed light on, on the history of these conference and regional matchups. Like, this is such an interesting college football game to me uh, and a throwback to, you know, the things that Oregon State's been able to do in their building against a USC program that symbolizes all these different things about college football uh, and the big city and the flash and all of that. Uh, so I'm really excited for this game. I want to pick Oregon State um if I you know if I didn't know the line I think that six and a half is maybe just a bit too tight even for me as someone who I think of as being lower on USC than than most people are uh mm -hmm. but I'm gonna take USC at that line barely I think I'm gonna take them by a lot um I yeah. would absolutely love <laughs> I would love for this to be a storybook ending for Oregon State and USC's rivalry. Right. Um, and I'm fully willing to eat crow. I would absolutely love to Me too. be proven wrong about this. But, I mean, we're talking about Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison going against, like, the Beavers secondary. Um, and no matter how well the Beavers secondary has played so far against, like, good G5 teams, this is a different beast. Um, USC is, is that legit. We even have a common opponent to compare them against in Fresno. Um, and say what you want about how each team, how both those matchups were managed. Like, I think the scoreboard says a lot for itself, uh, even if it doesn't say everything. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm picking USC, and I would probably take them on the original line as well of, like, two touchdowns. So, um, sorry, Beavs, but, hey, prove me wrong. I would, I, I'll be rooting for the Beavs 100% in this game. Um, isn't it great that we don't have divisions anymore so I can actually genuinely root for northern teams sometimes? Um, 
Utah, 14.5-point favorites at Arizona State. This game is set 7.30 on ESPN, and I do not know why this is the ESPN game instead of Stanford-Washington. Nevertheless, here we are. Um, this is going to be a snooze fest. I, I'm taking Utah against this spread, and I don't really need any... I, I don't need any explanation for it. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's interesting that this spread is as close as it is. Um, I know Greg was saying on No Truck Stops or, or has been talking about how Emory Jones is a mobile quarterback, and, and that's been a problem for Utah so far. Uh, I, I think that's an interesting storyline. I think that's one of those threads that, like, if you told me that Arizona State plays this game competitive, that's probably the reason why, uh, but I just don't really buy that they're going to play it competitively, uh, so I'll take Utah as well. Uh, I will say, like, there is a possibility that Herm Edwards leaves and then Arizona State get immediately gets better. Um, right. I think that would be a pretty funny storyline, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't I mean, understand how you can, how this line is 14 and a half, really. A year ago, this was one of the defining games of the conference, yes. and uh, you know Arizona State came out for a half and looked like the better team. They lost a lot, but some of the bones of that roster are still intact. Uh, and Emory Jones is maybe a better quarterback than Jane Delo- or than Jane Daniels uh, was a year ago. But yeah, it's still uh, just with all the dysfunction, it's hard to beat on to bet on. Uh, Arizona State there. Um, this last game, Stanford at UW. Uh, UW are flat 14-point favorites. Um, I, uh, My brain says pick UW against the spread in this game. Um, we've gone 4-for-4 four four in agreements so far. Um, and I have a feeling you're going to take UW. So I'm going to pick Stanford just because screw it. This is a Pac-12 after dark game. Weird shit happens. Uh, Stanford has only played two games this year because they had a week three bye. Um, you know, they played better against USC than I think the final score indicated. So screw it. I'm going to pick Stanford because I want to see Huskies suffer. Uh, I'm not, I'm picking them against the spread here. Like, I don't, I'm not going to say they're going to win or anything, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll take Washington, uh, for the point of difference. Um, it's an interesting game, right? I think we're going to learn stuff about Washington here. I think Stanford with David Shaw having an extra week to pre- prepare. Um, and we saw what he did with the slow mesh, uh, you know, Wake Forest offense that he used against USC. I think that, you know, I wonder if that presents some problems for Washington. It's similarly a letdown spot for them. Uh, and... We've seen these early st- early season surprise letdowns for Washington the past few years. I, mm-hmm. I wonder if that comes back again, um, or if this is really a transformed group for Washington, and they're able to notch a blowout against a not great Stanford team, uh, but a Stanford team that could pose problems if Washington kind of is beating itself, you know. I think that's kind of the barometer that they're going to hold there. Uh, yeah, I'll go with Washington on this line, but I'm definitely interested to see it. 
uh, and and not overly confident that it will go that way. Yeah, I think it's going to, you know, we can learn a lot by just the margin of victory in both of those late night games. Um, the That being Utah at ASU and then Stanford at Washington. So uh, both 730, uh, UW is on Pac-12 Network. As I mentioned, Utah's on ESPN for whatever damn reason. Um, I can't remember which, I think that might be the Rod Gilmore game actually. But um, anyways, uh, any other matchups around the country you want to take a look at? Yeah, around the country. Let me pull up this slate really fast. I haven't uh, looked that closely at it. Um, uh, I'll throw one out. Yeah, an early on. morning one that usually would not be on anyone's radar. Duke at Kansas. And yes, I'm being serious. Uh, both these teams are 3-0. and Duke has a brand new head coach, Mike Elko. He was A&M's D coordinator. Um, and he's brought some energy back into that program. Same can be said about Lance Leipold at Kansas, who is going to be considered for the Nebraska job. Kansas has been putting up points, like serious points. They genuinely have one of the best offenses in the country so far this season. Uh, this is another candidate for game day that I would have been fine with. Um, that's at uh, 9 a.m. on Fox Sports 1. So check it out. You know, weird shit will happen. Yeah, uh, that that's definitely going to be an interesting game if you're really, you know, into the balance of power in college football and like these little you know teams rising and falling even when they're not competing for their conference necessarily like that's just an interesting college football game that if it was an equivalent in the Pac-12 I think a lot more people out here you know would be interested in so it's a good mm-hmm. opportunity to learn to learn about these other conferences and some of the middle of the road teams there I think you know in terms of the headliners of the slate um you know, I just don't love. I don't love a lot of these, honestly. Like the Florida Tennessee games, obviously. It's Tennessee's that where, gonna out. Yeah, I think Tennessee's gonna win that game by a good amount, and I also just don't. I don't know. I'm tired of of pretending. I don't know. I don't know. Florida just the past two weeks has been a little disappointing. Uh, yeah, and I just don't. I want to see them win this game, but I don't, or like, I want to see this game be competitive just to have the intrigue of it, but I don't think they deserve all the like fanfare and attention that they're getting based on what they looked like the past two weeks. Uh, And I think Tennessee probably is going to blow them out. Um, Clemson early morning gets a test versus Wake. They're seven point favorites there. If you're interested in the playoff conversation, I think that's kind of, uh, you know, a big one. There was obviously, you know, a five-year period where you basically put in pen that Clemson was going to make the playoff <laughs> at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. I think that after what happened last year, where everyone kind of hesitantly has them, you know, noted either in their playoff or to the side and thinks, you know, are they going to run through the ACC again or not? Uh, and this is certainly a big opportunity for them to potentially trip up and and free open another spot for a second Big Ten team or a second SEC team or maybe someone from the Pac-12 or you know Oklahoma whoever gets in there. Um, I agree with you in that the the big, quote unquote big games on the slate this week are just terrible. Like Wisconsin at Ohio State, 
you can't get me excited about that. I'm sorry. You just can't. It's going to be a blowout. Um, yeah. This is a great weekend to watch a lot of Pac-12 football. Uh, Arkansas A&M, like, that would usually, like, excite me. But honestly, after the way both of those teams have been playing recently, like, I'm not super excited about that. I mean, just, um, like, anyone who's more excited for Arkansas A&M than Oregon State USC, it, it just like blatantly uh, yeah. biased uh, against yes. pa- against West Coast teams. Like, you yes. just cannot convince me that those are two programs in more interesting positions, like than or or playing a more exciting brand of football than Oregon State oh, and USC are not. going to. Um, yeah, or even like more intriguing narratives. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I just. I mean, and the fact Arkansas is ranked 10th still after playing Missouri State that they're closely. They're 10th? What the yes, hell? They're ranked 10th, and they've played, you know, I mean. It's Come just, on, people. These, especially these SEC coaches, I think, people grab onto them, and, and everyone's so excited about, like, what Sam Pittman did there last season. But, like, did can what? we just let... <laughs> <laughs> didn't do anything can we let them just be like what they are which is another kind of frisky team in the top 20 to 30 and not say that you know they're a top 10 team because they have eked out wins against cincinnati south carolina and missouri state i have a I have a split zone duo quote that I'm going to throw out there that I heard today from, from Godfrey, Stephen Godfrey. He said like the greatest trick the SEC ever pulled off was convincing the average football fan that their worst teams were still better than your conference's worst teams. And I think this is a great example of that. Um, yeah. Neither of these teams are top 10 teams. Neither of them are playoff contenders at all. Um, they're, I would have to see very, very drastic things to convince me that either of these teams are better than, like, any of, like, definitively better than, like, really any of uh, that top five or six of the Pac-12 that we were talking about um, on a neutral Absolutely. Field. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, I wish, I so wish that, I mean, even take a road game, you know, that or play in Vegas, Arkansas versus Oregon State in Vegas or something. Like <laughs> give me the beeves all day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love to have had that game on the schedule. Texas A and M versus wa- versus Washington State. They're doing exactly what they did to Wisconsin, you know, if not yeah. more convincingly. Yeah. Um Yeah, yeah. So that's a um, great point. The one from the national slate that I am kind of intrigued with is um is Kansas State Oklahoma because I think mm. yeah, I haven't put a lot of eyes on Oklahoma so far this season. Me neither. Yeah, uh, and they've looked they've they've done impressive things. I mean, I watched a little of that Nebraska game. They won forty nine fourteen in the end. That's you know Island through all the turmoil. Fraudulent. Yeah, yeah, um, and so I think Kansas State. Uh, you know, after losing to a really good Tulane team last really, weekend, really good. Uh, <laughs> I think they're still, you know, a competent football pro- football program and a team that was flirting with the top twenty-five before that. 
So uh, maybe, you know, that something interesting will happen there or on the other side we'll learn, you know, another step towards Oklahoma being more legit uh, and potential playoff contenders. Honestly, right now the Big 12 is kind of opening up in my eyes. Like with mm-hmm. the Ewers injury, uh, I'm not sure if he's going to be back by that Red River shootout, but that's in three weeks or something. So mm-hmm. I don't know his injury, but wouldn't be surprised if he's not. Um, and otherwise, like, yeah, Kansas is good, uh, but Iowa State's a little down. Baylor, I don't love. West they Virginia, have some pesky terrible. teams. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, Oklahoma State could be good again this year. We'll see. But, you know, there's some, maybe some teams there. But if Oklahoma's a legit, you know, top 10 team, I think they have the chance to breeze through this schedule uh, or, you know, a top six team that they are now or whatever. Uh, They have the chance to really put themselves in the position to make the playoff, I think, for sure. You know, even with one loss, I think they're probably in a pretty good spot, so. That one's on Big Fox at 5 o'clock. Um, you know what's the exact same matchup in a different conference? Uh, is Maryland at Michigan. Um, again, Michigan, potentially fraudulent. Lost their two, three-something best players from last season. The actual difference makers from a team that got smacked by a real national title contender in the playoff. Um, <laughs> if they're legit, they'll blow out Maryland. Same thing with Oklahoma. If you're legit, prove it to me and beat the crap out of Kansas State. Both those games are at home for the favored teams. You know, that Maryland game, Maryland-Michigan is at 9 a.m. on Big Fox. Um, The last one I I care to mention is uh, TCU at SMU, also at 9 a.m. I only want to mention this because it's a rivalry game, uh, and they award an iron skillet to the winner. Um, So it might be one to, you know, flip to the end of if it's close. That, that's always a good shout. Um, one more, Tulane go, uh, two lane at home against Southern Miss, 13-point favorites. That's a big rivalry Ooh. game. Is there a name for the rivalry? <laughs> not, not that I know of. There might be. <laughs> the other one for, for Oregon narratives uh, that people might be interested in is a matchup between uh, the two week one opponents for Oregon and Washington. That's right. Really? Georgia hosts Kent State this weekend. Uh, they're 45-point <laughs> favorites. Um, and, you know, just 9 a.m. for stupid, you know, Twitter arguments between the two fan bases before Oregon and Washington actually get to play. <laughs> It'll be funny to see the result of this game and, and whether either fan base dares to use it to, to spin the narratives. I love it. I love it. Um, anything else you got? I I can't really find any more intriguing ones. Like I said, this is a great, great week to watch Pac-12 football. Um, oh, also, uh, seven o'clock Wyoming at BYU on ESPN2. You know, we're rooting for BYU at this point. Don't get it twisted. Um, all right, man. Anything else you want to shout out before we dip out? That's, that's it. Uh, I think we did a good job. I'm excited to see what happens with this Oregon-Washington State game, of course. Uh, another big test. Um, and I said going into the year, BYU and Washington State was the third biggest, you know, 
area for a loss on the schedule outside of the two obvious ones in Utah and Georgia. Uh, and so if Oregon was able to get through this two-game stretch, that would be uh, certainly a big vote of confidence for this team. Certainly so. Um, and as we prepare up for these uh, upcoming games, you know, this this is certainly one you should be able to win on paper still. So, um, all right, man. Thanks for joining us. If you're a listener, uh, please rate us five stars if you want to or don't. I don't, I don't really care. Um, and yeah, go Ducks. Go Ducks.